Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We're going to be in this uh, letter for hopefully 10 weeks. And by the end of this teaching series, I'm hoping that we're going to be out of all the lockdown restrictions. If, all, if everything goes to plan, if the government restrictions do land on June 21st, by the time we finish the series, uh, we'll be out of this. And what we're doing is we're allowing Paul to pastor us as a church. So we're going to be reading this letter and just unpacking how Paul pastored a church in a, in a very different time with different um, contexts, but actually quite similar emotions to ours. If I were to ask you, you know, how has this last year been for you? I know there are a few people who are like, it's been amazing, I've just stayed at home for you. But like for most of us, like, what are some of the emotions that have come to mind and some of the emotions that we've experienced? I, I would imagine a lot of us have felt overwhelmed at points. I think with the kind of collapsing of like any boundaries or commuting or work or home or leisure or family, everything just gets collapsed into one. It can feel like we've had those days where like you feel like you've been super busy, but you may not have actually got much done, or you feel like I've not done much and I've done some. You never like quite know, has this been a productive day or not? Because you're just in the same spot, sitting in the same space day after day after day. And we've had all sorts of emotions, I would guess, of like a lack of hope. I was amazed and I laughed at myself, my, the October last year version of myself, because Charles, very wisely, when the first lockdown happened, some of you have heard of like the five stages of grief, where you go through denial and then anger and then bargaining and then depression and then finally acceptance. I remember Charles talking about this, and about like three, four weeks into the first lockdown, I was feeling pretty good with myself because I thought, I think I've already reached acceptance. You know, like, I've gone through all of the stages. I'm actually more mature than I realised. Thank you, God. I'm a godly pastor. Pat on the back. And then I was reading my journal, just looking back. And in October, I wrote this. Epiphany. I think I am angry. <laughs> angry! Exclamation mark. And at least in a Daniel British way, in a way that I didn't know that I was. I think, and I was joking, I, mean, I won't tell you all that I wrote, but as far as I could tell, I was just angry with everything and anything that would move. I was just like, I was just irritated. I don't know, like just all these emotions coming up, like my life has been disrupted and changed. I don't know what the future's going to be like, and I didn't like it. And I think some of us, and like I've spoken to some of you, so I know it's true, so don't leave me alone here. Some of us have felt like we have wanted to give up at points. We felt like we'd woken up some mornings and thought, I'm not sure I really want to do today. Has anyone had that feeling? Like, I'm not sure what else I want to do, but I know today is not a day that I want to do. I haven't got any other great plans. I'm just like, this is not something I want to get up for. And we've, we don't know what we're even getting up for. What is it that I'm living for? Because all of our hopes, plans, holidays, work, whatever it might be, have actually gone. So I don't even know what, what is coming for me. And that loss, loss of hope, actually makes the heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12 says, when, when our hope is deferred, it makes us sick. Some of us experience that, the loss of hope has really brought us low. It has not been a good spiritual year for many of us. This has not been, a, for me, like pastor confession time, I don't look back at 2020 and think that was a breakthrough year for me spiritually. I got through it, which I'm grateful for, to be standing here with Jesus, but it was not a breakthrough year for me. Why do I dredge all of these emotions up? Because I think when we look at this church in Philippi, they would have felt some very similar things that, that you have felt. 
Some of the low moments, some of the anxiety, some of the depression, some of the lack of energy, the lack of hope, the desire. Could I look left and right and find an exit here and not walk spiritually with God? Is there a way that I can do this without doing all of this stuff in the Bible? They would have felt that. Because at this time, the church in Philippi, they were about 10 years old as a church. They were a Roman colony, and the persecution against Christians was getting increasingly fierce. It was only about two years after this letter was written that the Great Wall of the Great Wall of China, the Great Fire of Rome, just conflating lots of history to make sure you're paying attention. The Great Fire of Rome happened in about AD 64, which Nero blamed the Christians for and then took them to the stake to burn them. Persecution was getting increasingly intense. It's difficult to be a Christian today, and you might get people saying, giving you sharp tweets, but there were people knocking on doors with swords, taking Christians away to burn them at the stake at this time. And for them to be in a Roman colony where they were associating with a prisoner of Rome who was saying, my allegiance is with Jesus, was a very dangerous place for them to be. You are saying you are financially supporting and backing a prisoner of the state. That puts them in the firing line as well. And not only were there external problems and pressures on them, there were internal pressures on the church. It seems like later we're going to find out there was a falling out in the church where leaders of the church were falling out. There were fractions. So even church itself was not a sanctuary. It was a difficult place to be. This was not a hope-filled environment right now. And I would imagine that lots of the Christians here felt like what you have felt like this last year. Some anxiety, a little bit of depression, a lack of hope. Where do we go from here? Is is there an exit? Like, can I get out of this thing and it be okay? Like, I don't really want to get up and do today. I would imagine this is not a spiritual high point that Paul is writing into. And yet these are the words that he writes. And I want to read these, but I want some of you here to absorb these into your soul. This is what he writes in verse 6. I am sure of this, Christians in Philippi, and for some of you here today, Christians in London, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So to those of you who feel like giving up right now, he who began a good work in you will complete it. For those of you who are not sure whether you want to carry on and know that 2020 has been a spiritual low point in your life, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He brings assurance and confidence to these Christians in Philippi and through these words being read out to you right now. Paul has this future day in mind, and it's not June 21st. That's going to be a good day, we hope and pray. But it's a future day beyond that. He wants to lift our gaze to a horizon, way beyond that, to the day of Christ. And he speaks about this day again in 1 verse 10, but he speaks about being pure and blameless for this day of Christ. In chapter 2, he references it. And again, in another letter, in one of his last words that he ever writes, one of his last letters, in 2 Timothy, he speaks of the same day, this future day that's coming, and he says, I have fought a good fight now, and I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, the day of Christ, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
And he sets the Christian's hope on this future day of Christ. And he says, I know that God who started a work in your life is going to sustain you and carry you so that we will meet on that final day of Christ Jesus. Where you will receive a wreath, a reward of righteousness. We're told in Revelation that on this day there's going to be a banqueting table laid out for all who have loved Christ's appearing. And then we are going to be sat at this banqueting table. No social distancing, no masks, fat and rich food and glorious wine. And we are going to sit together and celebrate the fact that we made it. That though life were tough, and life is tough, we made it. That though life is exhausting at points and there are many mornings where you feel like I just don't know whether I can do another day God will get us there that though there will be bumps and valleys and darkness and depression and tensions and difficulties and job losses and financial strain though there be difficulties we will get there And there will be a day when we will look to the left and to the right down this banqueting table and we will catch each other's eye and we will tell each other, we made it. Because of Jesus' work in our life, we made it through 2020 and 2021 and those rough moments and the ill health and the death in our family and the trials and the trauma that we go through and all of the things that we carry in our hearts, even though they don't go away, God got us to glory. Amen? He's going to get us there. It's going to be a glorious day. I can't wait. And I remind myself, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not old, but when you have kids, this is what I've experienced, is you like, I start replaying moments with my own dad, and I think, I did this with my dad, and I, it feels like four weeks ago that I was a kid doing this with my dad, doing stuff in the garden, and here I am doing stuff with my own boy, and I think, that, that went just like that. I know, Charles, sorry to pick on you, Charles, you're just <laughs> looking in front of me, you're just here. And I, and I know, if that's the case, it will be another, like, just grandkids, and then, I don't know, I'm not being sober, but there will be a point where we'll, we'll be at each other's funerals. And it will go like that. It will be, we'll, what happened to life? And God is going to get us to the day of Christ. Amen. He is going to carry us all the way to glory. And this is Paul's confidence. It's not in the Christians in Philippi. And it's not in us. It's not like, I've seen you guys. You know, I've done the personality tests. And you're the kind of people who really stick at projects and finish them and see them through. Like, you know, you're not like those flaky Christians down in Corinth. You know, they're just the visionary starters who like to start stuff. But never, you know, it's nothing about their personality. It's nothing about what they've got inside themselves. All the confidence that he has is in God. That it's not that we are particularly spiritual. Because I think we would all confess that we are more ordinary than we would like to admit. We are more ordinary than our Instagram and our social media would admit to the world. When we look at ourselves and think, I don't feel particularly spiritually strong. And it's not us that we have to look to. It's God himself. And this is what Paul does in this verse and verse 6. He says, I'm sure of this. 
that he, that is God, he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of his son, Jesus Christ. This is a God-centered, God-oriented worldview that he has, that God is going to sustain us for a few reasons, for you the character traits of whom God is. Firstly, that there are no limitations of what God does in this life. For us, we, we can make all sorts of promises to each other, to God. I've just got a fitness tracker because I realised a year in lockdown has not been good for me. So I'm now like, I've made promises to my fitness tracker about how much exercise and how many steps I'm going to do. And I've got goals that I have to, you know, this thing's watching me even right now, which is worrying. But, you know, come 9.30 and a bit tired, you know, that insatiable hunger kicks in. At, at the moment that you sit down in front of Netflix and you think, this is the time that I absolutely cannot survive without ice cream. Like, I know, I promised that I wouldn't, but here we are a day in, and I'm already eating the ice cream, the biscuits, and I said, I wouldn't do. We fail in our promises. There are circumstances that happen outside of our control. You might promise to the bank, I will provide, you know, uh, give my mortgage payments every month, and then you lose a job, or COVID hits. You go on furlough and it becomes difficult and you can't make promises. There are so many limitations within ourselves and outside of ourselves that we, we cannot always fulfill promises to other people, to, to, to ourselves or even to God. And yet God lives without any limitation or restriction on him. That anything that he wills in his heart will come into being. We're told in Psalm 115 that our God lives in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. That he's not encased in our physical world, bound up in the restrictions of this world. That he exists outside of time and space history. Therefore, whatever he wills comes into being. And this is the good news. What he wills is always good and pure and for our blessing. So that he doesn't have to rally around troops or get a team together or get a project manager or raise some finance to get something done in our life. Whatever he wills in his heart will be done because he exists outside the constraints, the physical created constraints that we live in. And also, second to this, God is utterly independent of all created life. So we need, like, the coffee and the air and the friendship and the sleep and everything just to exist and water. I know that's more important than coffee, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. We need all of the things that are around us to, to live. And yet God, he exists outside of time and space history and he is the fountain and the source of everything. He doesn't need us. We were created out of a happy overflow of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He doesn't need us to be fulfilled or happy. He created us out of joy. We are dependent on him. He is not dependent on us. And as he sits outside of time and space history, he sees the beginning and the end, the genesis and the revelation, the day of your birth and the day you get to the day of Christ. He sees all of that in the palm of his hand. We're told that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. When Moses comes and he meets this God in the burning bush, God says, I am who I am. Hey, that's, that's really helpful, Lord. What does that, what, like, what does that mean? I've been thinking of a name like Fred or Trevor. I don't know. What, what, no, no. I am who I am. That is, I exist and I exist. I was, I am, 
and I will be. So God sees the beginning of your life and he sees the end of your life. And what he wills into being does not happen sequentially. There is not a year or a COVID or your will or your doubts or your faith or your failures or your sin. There is nothing sequentially in your life that will stop his will coming to pass. Because what he has started has already in God's world finished. One theologian says it like this. Geraldine, not Geraldine. Sorry, Gerald. Gerald Hawthorne. He's a good biblical commentator who doesn't take up a female name. Gerald. You're not watching, Gerald, but if you were watching, I apologise for calling you Geraldine. But he says this, when God is involved, whatever he begins already has the end in sight. The completed state already exists. Yeah, silence, get your head around that for a moment. God sees the end. He already has the end in his mind. A thousand years is as a day to him, and a day is as a thousand years. So we live our life out worrying sometimes. Am I going to make it? God already sees. You're making it. You already are making it. Because what I began in your life, I will bring to completion. Many of us go through moments, I think, where we feel like we're... We're hanging on to God by, the, by our fingernails. We're like, I do have faith, but I really am just holding on right now. I don't know if anyone feels like that. You know, like, if someone asked you, are you a Christian? Are you following God? Like, no, I, I know God loves me, but from my perspective, it feels like I'm just holding on and one breath and I could just fall right now. What we're told in this verse, this promise, is that you will make it, and it's not because of your strength or your faith. Psalm 63, one of my favourite verses, Paul says, David says, sorry, he says, I, my soul clings to you. you, you you've got to imagine a small child with a mother or a father, their arms round their parents' neck, holding on. Some of us feel like that, right? We're like, I'm just holding on. Like, I'm just making it through my day. And yet the second half of the verse says, and your right hand upholds me. So get this, you're looking at your faith, worried about your faith. Can I hold on to God? I feel like my spiritual energy is ebbing away. If you would look at the hand of God in your life, you would see this infinitely large, powerful hand upholding you. Scars on his wrist saying, I will not let you go. Do you think I suffered on that cross to let COVID bump you off the road of faith? Do you think me who has suffered the infinite pains of hell on the cross for you, do you think just a year like this, I am going to abandon you? His infinite hands are underneath you. He will carry you and sustain you the whole way through. Hallelujah. And he's powerful to accomplish everything. It's not hard for God. I, I went to the gym for the first time in a long, long, long time. And I, last week, I told you last week, I'm obviously obsessed about going to the gym. I told you this week, but you're not going to get a weekly report on my gym, but for this week. And uh, I was weaker than I was hoping for as well, which is you know, not to be unexpected. But you know, if you, if you go to the gym, there's like a 2K weight, 
and I'm picking up more than that just to let you know. There's a 20k weight, bench pressing about 350kgs right now, obviously. You know, and you pick up the various different weights, and they're going to be heavier and heavier the further you go up that rack. But for God, he picks up a 2k weight and a 350k weight with exactly the same ease. Because not one thing is more difficult to him than another. He created the heavens and the earth, and he raised his son by the glory of his might. Nothing is too difficult for our God. He picks up a 2K weight, a 350K weight, and he sustains you all the way through your sin and your failure and your weakness and your depression. He carries you to the day of Christ. Our confidence is in God. Hallelujah. This is the good news. What I want to do as I close is just really draw out two responses to this promise. And um, two, two ways that we need to respond to this. Because the, the, the wrong way to respond to a promise like this is like, okay, so Paul says, I'm going to make it to the day of Christ. That's really good news. Like, shove the Bible, let's go to the park, Netflix, chill. Like, he's going to take me there, so I'm just going to go and do the thing that I really want to do. The right response of grace in our heart when we read a promise like this, that God is going to get us to the day of Christ, the right response is to move towards God and to walk out the promises that he has actually given. When a, when a heart is filled with the grace of God, what happens is we read a promise like that and faith springs afresh and we say, I'm going to walk there then. If God has promised it, that's where I'm going. He says this out and he lives this writes this in two, chapter 2 verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So church, you do a work, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is at work in your life. So what's our response? You work with him to work out your salvation. That makes sense. Well, every time you see what God is doing in your life, the response of a heart filled with grace says, well, that's what I'm doing then. I'm walking with God on this one. So I want to draw out two practicals, what Paul does here in these first few verses of how we would respond to this promise. And the first is this. It's for us individually to walk with others to the day of Christ. And we need to walk with others. He says this in verse 7. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you all in my heart. For you are all partakers of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. So we're told that the, the, the church in Philippi were very quick to back Paul financially, to serve him in the mission, to help people be persuaded that Jesus is the living God who rules and reigns and will one day come to judge and to start more churches. They quickly backed him as he left to move into Europe financially. And it seems like they continued to financially uh, resource him as he planted more and more churches. And even when he came to, the, to, to give an account for his witness of Christ in front of the Roman state, they continued, we, we imagine here, to back him financially and to stand with him in faith. That they stuck in there with Paul. When it was tempting for this point to be like Peter with Jesus, like, yeah, yeah, Paul, the guy who's in jail for talking about Jesus, 
we, we're, we're nothing to do with him. Like, we're, we're a kind of different cup to church. We're a church that, you know, like, your gods are cool. We like your gods. We don't want to. No, they say, no, we're with this guy. Wherever he goes, spiritually we are. And they stuck with Paul. That they were fellow partakers of the same grace from the same God. And so Paul says, on this evidence that we are in it together, whether in the room or whether virtually or by letter from afar, we are in it together on this evidence. We know we are going to make it to the day of Christ. Because the journey of faith and salvation is a community project. It is not a solo project. As the proverb goes, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. And it's so true with the Christian journey. The writer to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You ever thought that? I'm just going to sit and consider this morning how I can stir up ash to further good works. That's Christian living. And he says this, not neglect, sorry Ash, just like there, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as you are increasingly aware of the day of Christ drawing near, as your life begins to pass through your fingers and you see the end in sight with increasing clarity, Continue to meet together so that you might encourage one another on this journey of faith. So the first thing is this, our right response is to walk with others. And the second thing is to pray God's promises. Not like, oh sweet, God's going to get me to the day of Christ. Close the Bible and go to the park. You might go to the park as well. Like, I hope I'm going to do that today. But what we do is we pray what God has told us. Because what does, he gives us the promise in verse 6, and then in verse 9 and 10, he basically rehearses the promise, but prays it back. So he says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. One modern paraphrase says, so that you might know what is truly important. He says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So Paul says in verse 6, you are going to make it. God is going to sustain you for the day of Christ. And now I'm going to pray that you get there, that you, your love will abound, that you'll be found pure and blameless on that day. How do we respond to the Bible verses and the promises of Scripture? We take them back to God and say, Lord, would you do that in my life? Would you fulfill this in my life? Would love abound in my life? Would you fix my life on this final day? Would I be found there pure and blameless? Would my brothers and sisters be found there on that day pure and blameless? Would we make it? I used to... Sorry, I said this in the first service. But I used to. I still find prayer difficult. So I hope that encourages some of you. Um, or depresses you that your pastor finds prayer difficult, one or the other, you can come and talk to me afterwards. But I used to kind of think of prayer like this. There are so many needs in the world, and there are so many things that I should be praying for. And I'd heard of people who had long prayer lists, and they had even A4 folders filled with people and things they were going to pray for. Thought, okay, that's what you've got to do. Lots of things to pray for. And I would kind of pray for these things, and quickly realise I was running out of emotional, spiritual, physical energy, and realising I don't know what to be praying for all these things. I'm kind of like just praying for names and things. And that gets hard. Trying to import Bible into my prayers. 
And the longer I've gone on in this journey of praying, is I realize actually a far more helpful thing for me, and maybe for you, is actually just to take the words of Scripture and the promises of God in the Bible and pray those back to God. So that when you come across Bible verses that stir your heart, or scripture, or passages, or things you're reading in your your quiet times in the morning, or the evening, you read those and you say, I'm not just going to leave that as an interest, but I'm going to pray those back to God. Lord, you told me this morning that I'm going to make it to the day of Christ. Lord, would it be so? And may there be brothers and sisters with me. May Trinity Church be strong on that day. Would my family members who don't yet know Christ, would they be there on that day with me? You use the promises of God for your prayer life. And you use it to fuel your prayers. Does that make sense? And as we do that, we walk in increasing favour and anointing with God. As Charles reminded me, in the middle of the two services, and we might just enjoy the journey a little bit more as well. I'm going to close on this. Paul's priority here, because he doesn't pray, you know, Lord, would you get us out of this persecution? Pray for your health, your well-being, jobs. All of those are good things. He prays, would we make it to the day of Christ? Prayer reveals really where we're at spiritually. It reveals where our hearts and our ambitions are at. And we need to pray about everything all the time. So just pray about everything. Don't worry too much. But make sure in this we pray with the priorities and the promises of God that, Lord, would I be there on that day? Because it's no point in me getting all the things I hope to dream for in this life if I fall short of that final day. That's where I want to be. Amen? It's the promise we're going to make it. So I'm looking forward to that day where we sit down and enjoy the glory of God in its fullness. And Revelation tells us all pain, all sickness, all tears, all depression, all anxiety will be gone. We can enjoy each other's company and fellowship and God's presence with increasing joy forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray for a moment, can we? The band will come up. I'm just going to pray what Paul prayed. And you might want just to open out your hands to receive this as a prayer for you. You want to pray it for yourself. I also want to invite you that if you are not sure, you're not sure you're actually a Christian yet and you want to be on this journey and you want to be found on the day of Christ pure and blameless. You can be simply by accepting Christ and his work for you and his sustaining power to get you there. That's all you need to do. To acknowledge your own weakness and to invite Christ into your life. So let's pray. Father, it's my prayer And it's our prayer as a church this morning that my love and our love would abound more and more. That through the bumps and the trials and the difficulties of life, what would continually grow is our love for each other and for you. Lord, that knowledge and discernment would grow amongst us. Lord, that we may improve what really matters, what is excellent, that we may give our lives to what truly matters 
And Lord, that we might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Would you fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And Father, our prayer is that our lives give you praise and glory. That our lives and our church would point people not to our cleverness, but to how glorious and beautiful you are. That's my son, by the way, just so you know, but we're going to pray for one minute more. Um, that's the family of God for you. And Father, I pray for those who are really unsure right now. Lord, there will be people in the room, people who we know, Lord, who are really unsure about whether they're going to get there. Would you bring the anointing of your Holy Spirit and pour it out upon them? And for those, Lord God, who are nervous to say, I would like to be a Christian, but are looking in, Lord, would you bless them? Lord, would you take away the stumbling blocks? Would there be... Uh, an awareness of the ease, the unconditional welcome of you, Heavenly Father, because of the blood of Christ shed on that cross.